0: Reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 14. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you and I will not be a burden for I seek not what is yours but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents but parents for their children. I will most gladly speak Spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him, did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish that perhaps there may be quarrelling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit and disorder. I fear that when I come again my God may humble me before you And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of their impurity, sexual immorality, immorality and sensuality that they have practiced. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others And I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, We will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong not that we may appear to have met the test but that you may do what is right though we may seem to have failed for we cannot do anything against the truth but only for the truth for we are glad when we are weak that you are strong your restoration is what we pray for for this reason i write these things while i am away from you that when i come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
1: Thanks, Sam. We've got a lot going on today in our service, but it's worth us pausing now and spending some time here in this part of God's Word because we do need to hear God's Word and respond to it. And so why don't we stop and ask God to help us as we come to his word together now. Heavenly Father, please help us now to hear from your word and to understand it. Please work through it in our hearts to grow us to be more like Jesus, to grow our church family to love more like you, and to help us to see Jesus, the one who is our gracious saviour and our glorious, powerful King. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our house, uh, there's a ritual that happens every Tuesday. Now, there might be a similar ritual in your house. It's called the Get Ready for Visitors ritual. See, for us, Tuesday night is growth group. So the floors get vacuumed, whatever play mess is accumulated in the lounge room gets tidied away, tea and ke- coffee get put out on the bench, it's a whole thing. Uh, but this ritual, it's always much worse when it's unexpected, isn't it? Uh, when a friend calls up, hey, we're in town today, mind if we pop in, we'll be there in 10 minutes. <laughs> then it's the mad scramble, right? Tidy up, get things ready, get out of your pyjamas, visitors are coming. And here in the last part of 2 Corinthians, Paul gives the Corinthians the same warning. He's on his way. He's coming to visit them. They'd better be ready. But this is more than just a friend popping in for a visit. This is more like getting a rental inspection. Paul, the Apostle of Jesus Christ, is coming to check on the church. He comes with the authority of Jesus the King. He would love to be able to encourage them, but when they continue in sin, he will need to act. So the Corinthians better get ready. Paul's giving them a serious warning here. Uh, But it's actually because this whole chapter is full of Paul's great love. For them, he warns them because he wants to build them up in their faith in Jesus Christ, even when that means saying hard things. Because that's what it means to reflect Jesus, who is not only our gentle Saviour, he is also our loving and powerful King. That's what we see for the, from this passage. True, powerful Christian love reflects the love of our Saviour King by seeking to build others up, even when it's costly. This passage is going to challenge us in two ways. Not only will we hear Paul's warning to the church for ourselves, but Paul will also hold out for this a beautiful picture of what true Christian love looks like, what it could look like here in our church family. So let's get into it. First thing we see is that true Christian love spends itself Remember, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth because things are hard. Their relationship is strained. They're disappointed with Paul. Other teachers are trying to lead them away from Paul and away from the gospel. And so Paul writes this letter to them to call them to stick with the gospel and to stick with their gospel partnership with him. And he wants to reconcile his relationship with them. He wants them to be restored to partnership with him and faithfulness to the gospel. And so he's coming to visit them again. And once again, he's not going to accept their financial support. We've seen already in 2 Corinthians so far that he does this because he wants them to see the good news of Jesus as a free offer. It's a gift, not something you buy. And he wants, them to, to, he wants to undermine the false teachers who are taking advantage of them. But here he adds another reason. It's because he loves them. Chapter 12, verse 14. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Paul doesn't want their stuff. He doesn't want their money. He wants them. He loves them and wants them to be in relationship with them. He wants their wholehearted allegiance to Jesus. See, true Christian love loves people as people. Not as human resources to be used and abused, not for their stuff, not for what they can do for you, simply as people loved by Jesus and precious to him. And this means Paul is willing to lay it all on the line for them. He's willing to love them, even when it's costly. He's willing to spend his own resources for them, his time, his money, his energy, his emotional investment, like a spiritual dad providing for his kids, He's also willing, he says, to be spent for them. To face suffering and trouble, persecution, anxiety for their well-being. He's willing to be ringed out because he loves them. This is pretty amazing when you remember that his relationship to them is really hard. We've read throughout 2 Corinthians of Paul's absolute heartbreak for these people. They've rejected him and been led astray by false teachers and he still loves them. He's still willing to spend spend and be spent for them. Even when they accuse him of wrongdoing, which is what they do in the next few verses or what Paul responds to. They admit that Paul didn't burden them, but they think that he must have tricked them somehow. Con them into getting something back for himself. But that's not true. If they just think back to their relationship with Titus, they'll see it. Paul and his companions have always acted with integrity towards them. Paul's love for the Corinthians, it's not just something special for an apostle. It's a love that reflects the love of Jesus, our Saviour King. Our Saviour who gave himself up for us willingly sacrificed his own life on the cross to pay for our sins, who was spent for us. This has to change the way that we love one another. As a church family, we should love each other as people. We should be willing to spend and be spent for each other because we are growing to love more and more like Jesus. And part of that, that means a whole bunch of things, but part of that means that we come here on a Sunday morning not just to be served, not just to watch something happen up on stage and go away having consumed a nice service. We come here to love each other, to spend ourselves, to serve each other, to encourage each other, to care for those who are struggling, to speak the truth of the gospel to each other, even when it means saying hard things. This kind of love will be costly, It will be hard, but this is a true Christian love that reflects our Saviour King. Which brings us to our second point. This true Christian love is love that warns with power. Paul's been defending his ministry. He's been calling the Corinthians to be faithful to the gospel and to their partnership with him. But all this hasn't been for his own sake. It's been for their sake. Verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. He's written this whole letter because he wants to build them up. He wants them to be faithful to the gospel, to grow in their faith in Jesus and to grow to be more like Jesus. But that also means Paul needs to warn them. Because he's worried that his visit is going to be a hard one. Verse 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come to you, I may find you not as I wish. And that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarrelling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practised. Paul's worried that when he comes, he's going to find them continuing in sexual sin, continuing to accept the false teachers, continuing to reject Paul's partnership. And he's worried that they're not going to like what they see in him either. Because if he has to act with authority to discipline them, they are not going to like it. This whole visit might be angry and hostile instead of encouraging. So he warns them, get ready. Verse 1. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, If I come again, I will not spare them. Paul's love for them means that he can't just ignore sin. He cares about them too much for that. Sin is deadly dangerous, it is not something to be toyed with, and he wants them to honour Jesus in the way that they live as his people. So if they continue to sin, Paul is going to deal with it when he comes. He's going to follow a proper process for church discipline. A process that involves two or three witnesses. Probably the process that Jesus describes in Matthew 18. Now, church discipline is a tricky thing. It's rarely done well. And when we see it happen, we can balk at it. But it's actually about loving people well. It's about loving the people who are sinning enough to confront them and call them to honour God. And loving the whole church family by not tolerating unrepentant sin. The process that Jesus talks about in Matthew 18, though, starts with a private conversation. And if the person repents, it ends there. So I want to say, if church discipline is working well, it should mostly be invisible. If we deal with things when they're little... Not wait until they're massive and then have to take drastic measures. So if we're loving one another well as a church family, it will mean having those little invisible conversations with one another about sin. And it will mean being willing to listen, repent and be restored. It's not unloving for someone to warn you about your sin. It's ignoring it that's unloving. True Christian love for one another will mean being willing to have those hard conversations with each other. Because this actually reflects the love of Jesus, our Saviour King. Look in verse 3. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, been dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. See, Jesus, he is our gentle, gracious saviour. He was crucified in weakness, willingly going to the cross to bear the suffering, pain, shame and punishment that we deserve for our sin. But Jesus is not weak. The moment of his greatest seeming weakness was also the moment of his greatest victory. When he conquered sin and death forever. When his glory, goodness and grace were most clearly shown and displayed. And not only that, but Jesus was raised in power. He rose again on the third day. He ascended to heaven where he reigns as the mighty king and the righteous judge. Jesus is not weak. He loves his people. He is jealous for his people. And he will act with power to confront sin and to call us to be faithful to him. Paul's ministry reflects this. Paul may appear weak, but through his weakness, God's power is displayed. And Paul is not afraid to use that power to confront sin. If we love one another with this true Christ-like love then we will also be willing to gently and graciously warn and confront one another over sin. But we also need to hear this warning. Jesus is our merciful, gracious, gentle Saviour. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He offers free and full forgiveness to all those who trust in him, no matter what we've done. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is weak. He doesn't ignore our sin. Our gentle saviour is also the mighty king and the righteous judge. He loves us too much to leave us at the mercy of sin. And so in his power, he confronts us and he warns us. Even now through this passage, he warns us, he warns you. Turn away from sin. Do not live in unrepentance. Hear the warning. Which brings us to our response. See, this love that warns is also a love that calls for examination. Paul calls the Corinthians to respond to this warning with a little introspection. Verse 5 Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith, test yourselves. Or do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Paul wants the Corinthians to take a long, hard look at themselves, to take a long, hard look at their lives, to take a long, hard look at their faith. He said some confronting things in this letter. They've accepted false teachers. They've accepted them preaching a different Jesus, a different gospel. They've turned away from partnership with Paul when Paul is a true apostle sent from God. And so he wants them to think carefully about whether they really have understood the gospel. Whether they truly have trusted in Jesus. Whether God really has worked to change their hearts and their lives. He wants them to test whether they really are in the faith. This is our response to Paul's warning too. This is a word for you. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. To see whether you have really understood the gospel. Whether you have trusted in Jesus. Whether God has worked in your heart. I want to say to you, it's not enough for you to just come to church It's not enough to just be involved in serving. It's not enough for you to do good things and live a good life. It's not enough to be part of a family where your parents believe. All these things are great, but they don't mean that you are in the faith. It is only faith in Jesus Christ alone. Have you trusted in Jesus? If not, then today is the day. Yes. Come chat to me afterwards. You know, this might sound threatening, but in the Corinthians case, Paul's actually confident of their answer. He's confident that they will realise that Jesus Christ is in them. They have trusted in Jesus. God has been working in their hearts, bringing them to that godly grief that leads to repentance. And if they pass the test, if they really are in the faith, then that verifies the faithful gospel preaching of Paul and his colleagues too. God has worked through their message, showing them to be faithful apostles. Paul backs up this confidence with prayer. He prays that God would work in them so that they do what is right for the sake of building them up, verse 7. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you, so that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. This is why Paul's written this whole letter. Because he wants them to be restored to confident faith in Jesus and faithful living for him. He doesn't want to be harsh. He wants to build them up. That's what he wants to use his God-given authority for. But he loves them enough that he's willing to confront them if he needs to. He's willing to love them even when it's costly for him. Even if it means that he is weak and they are strong. At the end of the day, that's what his whole letter has been about. About building them up so that they might find joy and weakness and find strength in God. True Christian love is willing to warn, confront and call for examination. But that's not where Paul ends. Because true Christian love is also a love that strives for joyful peace. We come to the last few verses of the letter. Paul's on his way. He's calling them to examine themselves, to repent, to get ready. Now he leaves them with a final set of commands. Verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. It's a little surprising here, but Paul wants them to rejoice. To rejoice not in their strengths, not being impressive or showy. That's what the false teachers have been on about. Now, if they've really got the message of his letter, they will rejoice even in the midst of their weakness and suffering because of God's gracious work in them through the Lord Jesus. He also wants them to live out this in their relationships with each other. See, true Christian love will strive for joyful peace. It will aim for restoration for those who sin. It will be looking at every opportunity to comfort one another. That's encouraging and comforting one another with the same comfort and encouragement that we've received from God through the gospel. We saw that in chapter one. It will be seeking agreement, not by all thinking the same thing, but being united in our understanding of the gospel and being gracious in our disagreement on other things. True Christian love will seek to live in peace with other believers. Even when that means having hard conversations and owning up to our sin. But the good news in all of this is that the Corinthians and us, we are not alone as we seek to live this out. The God of love and peace, the God who loved us so much he sent his own son for us. The God who even when we were his enemies reconciled us to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross, he is with us. Paul's not saying this will be the reward if they do a good job of these commands. It's not do these things and then God will be with you. No, God is with his people. This is a promise that enables us to love and rejoice and seek peace. Paul puts this into practice with his greetings. Verse 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. And the holy kiss is a culturally appropriate sign of greeting, of respect, of family love. Striving for peace together will mean greeting one another in love like this. Now, I just want to say, uh, this is a culturally appropriate greeting. I won't be kissing you all on the way out the front door. And not just because it's not COVID safe, but because it doesn't actually share the same meaning in our culture. But shaking one another's hands where it's appropriate, saying, hello, how are you going, and meaning it, these are the greetings that we give to one another in love. And Paul sends a greeting of the believers where he is too. The Macedonians are expressing that same family love. This kind of true Christian love, it's only possible with God's work in our lives. And so that's where Paul ends his letter with a beautiful summary of the grace, love and fellowship of our Trinitarian God. Look in verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The great grace and kindness that God has shown us, that Jesus has shown us through his death on the cross, will be in us as he works in us and continues to show us his kindness. The love of God for us will be with us, helping us to love one another with a love that reflects his. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, both the fellowship, our fellowship with God through his Holy Spirit and our rich fellowship with one another through the Holy Spirit. It's only as our Trinitarian God is with us in his grace, love and fellowship that we can live for him and show that same grace, love and peace to one another as we live in fellowship. Paul's coming. He's on his way. He warns them because he loves them. Because true Christian love reflects the love of our Saviour King by building others up, even when it's costly. True Christian love will be love that spends itself, love that warns with power, love that calls for examination, love that strives for joyful peace. Let's be a church family, let's be believers who love like this more and more. The God of love and peace who is with us and working in us through his Spirit will do this in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us through Jesus. Thank you that in your love you sent your Son to spend and be spent for us, dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you that through him you work in our hearts to grant us faith and join us together as your people. And thank you that through him you work in us so that we might love more and more in a way that reflects him. A love that is willing to do the hard thing even when it's costly out of love for one another. Please help us love one another like this. To spend and be spent for each other. To warn each other with gentleness, but with power. To examine ourselves. And Lord, be faithful to you in the way that we live. And to strive together for joyful peace. We ask that you would do this work in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.